Thanks for listening to WBAI Nuke 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. As always, it's my unequaled pleasure to be here with you today with my stellar co-host, Jeff Simmons. How's it going, Jeff? Keeping busy, I hope. I know. Yeah, I've been keeping busy. It's great to be back on the air with you, Celeste. We seem to have just a little tech issues right now, listeners, so hopefully you can hear us well. Um, I will say this has been a very concerning week, troubling week. Uh, I know we're going to talk a little about what took place in uh, Texas. It's just been very disturbing and uh, just read a daily news story just a short while ago that was very, very depressing, Celeste, about the, the husband of one of the two teachers who was killed. He has now passed away. And they're saying the family members were saying he passed away uh, out of grief that his wife was killed. And uh, this was Irma Garcia who was protecting the kids in her classroom when this took place, Celeste. Yeah, I just, I did just see that, Jeff. I believe that this gentleman had a heart attack or suffered a heart attack uh, just a, a day or two after uh, that tragedy at Rob Elementary School in uh, Uvalde, Texas. A uh, total of 21 people dead in the incident, most of them children, at least 17 injured. And of course, Jeff, you know, this comes right on the heels of Saturday's mass shooting at the top supermarket in Buffalo, right here in New York State. And, you know, so if you think about this, um, we, we say that we've become sort of accustomed to mass shootings, school shootings, and there are reports out right now that people are keeping count, and this is the 27th school shooting in the United States so far this year. It's not even June, Jeff. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I find it difficult during these periods. I don't know how our listeners feel about this, but I find it very difficult to watch television uh to watch the scenes to see the grieving parents you know to, to hear their stories it's just incredibly sad and then you know what took place yesterday here in the city we were supposed to have uh the school's chancellor on but he had a last minute conflict and couldn't participate and he was going to talk about how the city is responding but yesterday celeste there was a news conference mm-hmm. uh with the mayor with the school's chancellor and the first deputy commissioner of the nypd and it was astounding when the uh, first deputy commissioner talked about how many dangerous instruments uh, they have found you know, that school safety agents have stopped, have confiscated since the beginning of this school year. I mean, it was more than 5,500, and among them were 20 firearms, Celeste. Wow, that's that's really intense. And if you think about the mayor, I was actually just sort of mentioning this in passing the other day, but I don't know if you remember, Jeff, uh, back in the day before Mayor Adams was Mayor Adams, he actually uh, filmed this video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was when he was a, a state senator, basically about how to search your kid's room for dangerous items, for drugs, for weapons. And he sort of took you through this as a former police officer himself, obviously, uh, you know, trying to explain to people how to look for these things but i mean this this is where we're at and i think it will be interesting to see if any of these uh latest incidents uh spur any action in congress or at the state level the city level uh you know what we do know jeff is that uh, here we are once again having another discussion and this is particularly striking to me uh, reading a lot of pieces about how to talk to kids and how to talk to each other about 
mass murder. You know, you say that, and I know we're going to get to our guests in a moment, but I, you know, we should definitely do a show on that at one point and bring on mental health experts and bring on experts who can provide guidance to our listeners who have kids or who have relatives that they feel they need to have these conversations with them. It's a good topic we should revisit. Absolutely. And just a very quick reminder before we do go to our first guest today that we can only have this kind of conversation or the kind of conversation that Jeff is talking about for future programs with your help. This is listener supported, non-corporate WBAI. Please go to WBAI.org today to support free speech radio. That's WBAI.org. Your contribution is tax deductible. Do something good for free speech, for the community. Give to WBAI today, and thanks. So uh, as we were saying, you know, a lot of the discussion about dealing with gun violence, ending gun violence, and crime on the street, taxes, the pandemic, dealing with all of these things really focuses on who we elect to our high political offices and what they do once they get there. So looking at the governor's race, uh, PIX11, Hill, Emerson College poll this month showed that on the Democratic side, the sitting governor, Kathy Hochul, gets uh, about 45% support from likely primary voters, about 12% for Congressman Tom Suozzi of Long Island, 7% for New York City public advocate Jamani Williams, and 22% of those voters were undecided. Now, things were notably tighter on the Republican side. Same poll found Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin with 26% support among likely GOP voters, followed by Andrew Giuliani, the son of the former mayor, former member of the Trump White House, with just under 18% support, former Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino with around 16%. About 19% said they were undecided. Uh, more recent Zogby poll, however, did have Andrew Giuliani in the lead over Congressman Lee Zeldin. So with that contest really pretty open, Open right now in the Republican field, we are going to be joined by Andrew Giuliani to talk about his campaign and the latest news in New York and beyond. For those of you who may not know him yet, yes, he is the son of Rudy Giuliani. He was born and raised in Manhattan. After graduating from Duke University in 2009, he was a professional golfer and he also interned in finance and real estate. In 2016, he volunteered on the presidential campaign of Donald Trump, later joined the administration where he worked in the Office of Public Liaison, later as Special Assistant to the President. After a stint at the White House, he worked for Newsmax Television. He's currently on the board of the United States Holocaust Museum and works with other charitable institutions. Next stop, he wants to be Governor of New York. So, Andrew Giuliani, welcome to WBAI. Well, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. If you are there, and you may be or may not be, but yeah, I think you hear we me are now? figuring that can one. You hear out. me? I can hear you now. Oh, there we go. Well, it's great to be with you. Pardon the delay over here, but I'm enjoying our. I'm enjoying sitting down and having a conversation. Great. Well, thank you so much, friend. Really appreciate it. So we gave you just a very brief intro there, but if you want to take just about 60 seconds, just to explain to New Yorkers why you're running and why they should support somebody who would be holding high elected office for, I believe, the first time. Sure. Well, you know, you detailed out kind of a little bit of my background in working the last four years under the Trump administration uh, you know, having the opportunity to work in the public li- of office liaison, uh, the office of public liaison, had the opportunity to work on important issues like the Paycheck Protection Program, like the CARES Act, like making sure that our MTA was funded 
throughout the CARES Act, uh, and also uh, making sure that our 9-11 health responders, our first responders, uh, ended up getting refunded to the tune of $4 million uh, when the New York State Department of Treasury uh, ended up actually uh, commingling taxpayer uh, identification numbers, uh, and uh, that ended up uh, basically uh, confusing the Medicaid uh, payments along with uh, the actual money that was going to these first responders. So I spent a lot of time in the White House and focusing on issues that were important to New Yorkers. And, and to me, in looking at the point where we at are at in the state, uh, there's a reason why. There are many reasons, actually, why we are leading the country in out-migration, and we need to change. <laughs> and... Uh, and that's my and we always have sound effects right on the show. Grace, as a matter of fact. So, <laughs> so uh, it, welcome to the show. And as we talked about at the top of the show, the big issue on everyone's minds right now is gun violence. Where are you on strengthening gun laws generally, given what we've just seen, that we've just seen two mass shootings in a row? Well, look, my, I am, you know, so horrified by seeing what we've seen. And to me, I'm, I'm a big proponent in making sure that we strengthen uh, and fully fund our law enforcement and looking at what happened specifically in Buffalo. Um, you know, we had this guy almost a year ago threatening to shoot up his school and let him go after 24 hours. Um, was that a lack of resources that our law enforcement had? This is a guy that, you know, under the laws that are on the books, the red flag laws that are on the books, uh, never should have had access to a weapon, period. I actually think he should have been detained for far longer. There were obvious mental health issues with him right there. So for me, uh, as a solution in terms of what I would do specifically in looking at our schools, I would make sure that we have uh, an officer in each and every school around the state. Uh, that way there is somebody that is ready to respond to an active shooter situation if that happens. I can tell you uh, you'll have less incidents of it if you have somebody in there. And I would also look at creating something similar to the air marshal programs uh, that they have where, you know, you don't know where an air marshal actually is. I think that's so important uh, in putting somebody in the classroom that can actually defend these students when you have a, a maniacal person like this who comes in to commit, you know, the worst evil. And given what you're saying about air marshals, you know, that's where I was going to go next. Do you think teachers should have the right to have a weapon in the classroom to protect themselves and their kids? I think there should be one or two, maybe three, you know, depending. And I don't think we should detail it out. Um, but I think it should be at least one person in each school uh, that does have a weapon. So that way they can defend themselves and they can defend the students if something like this was to happen. Uh, you know, it, it's horrifying to think. And obviously, as a new father, um, I, I couldn't imagine what these parents are actually going through right now. And it completely breaks my heart as it does. I know so many New Yorkers and so many Americans these days. So, yes, I would I would want to see some of our teachers armed with the opportunity. But those who are licensed to carry and certainly those uh, that are former law enforcement, I think it's so important to make sure that we have uh, multiple members in each school. 
So, and we're going to talk about more than just guns today. I mean, obviously, it's it's a very big topic, but I just want to stay on this for one more second. And if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Andrew Giuliani's Republican candidate for governor of New York. And um wanted to ask you, you know, big picture, I know you've talked about spending more money on uh, mental health care, more money on uh, protecting schools specifically. But what do you say to the argument that, you know, you look around at, at other countries, westernized countries in particular, but, you know, they just do not have the issues that we have with mass, you know, mass casualty gun violence because they simply restrict people's ability to uh, to purchase and uh, own and carry guns that, you know, right. they may have issues with mental health or, uh, you know, economic strife, uh, uh, you know, issues with the pandemic. But we just do not see the level of mass casualty. We do not see another country with anywhere near 27 school shootings in six months. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a solution in looking at this stuff is we need to go after the illegal weapons that are on the streets. And in, the, in America, we have an estimated 250 million illegal weapons that are on the streets. So I think uh, before we even approach going after the legal weapons, I think it's very important that we reduce that number significantly. Um, otherwise, then, you know, I, I don't, about I don't this, argue you're I don't know that, that illegal actually, guns are you're going to make it harder to actually go uh, after uh, if you're going to make it uh, that much easier to go after and take the legal weapons off the street and do nothing about the illegal weapons, uh, then you're going to make it that much easier for those who are intending to use it to commit crimes uh, to actually have those weapons while legal gun owners don't actually have the rights or opportunity to defend themselves. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's an important part of the thinking process in terms of how they actually uh, attack this issue. Well, just to, uh, not to belabor the point here, although I think it's, it's worth talking about more, I believe in the Texas case, uh, that, that firearm was legally purchased and we did have somebody who sort of uh, broadcast this, frankly, on social media that, you know, what he was going to do and, uh, you know, yeah. still it couldn't be stopped. We had a massive law enforcement response to that school, but at the same time, you're now seeing reports about, um, agonized parents begging people to enter the school supposedly uh this assailant was in that school for around an hour before he was uh before he was stopped um yeah and and that was obviously something that you know look if law enforcement was on site as appears that they were and they did not go in took that much time to do that is a massive problem and there's obviously a massive failure in that and if lives were lost if kids lives were lost because of that uh, that's something that's, uh, you know, impossible to imagine. You know, you mentioned social media before, and I've heard talking about, you know, increasing censorship on social media. I, I take a different approach on this. How about we strip Section 430, uh, 430A on this stuff uh, and uh, basically allow the social media companies to be liable for everything that's on there? Um, see, what I worry about in terms of censoring speech is uh, who's going to be the one that actually has their hand on the trigger in terms of what censorship absolutely actually means. Uh, as somebody who's a conservative and who did work in the Trump White House, uh, I saw the censorship of uh, the Hunter Biden article, which was now <laughs> and has been by the New York Post admitted to be true and not Russian disinformation. I thought that was very harmful down the stretch of the 2020 election. And I'm very concerned with who's going to be making the decisions on what we should censor or not. I'd much rather see a full repeal of Section 430A, or I should say 230A, 
uh, and then that way social media companies can be held liable across the board for what goes on their sites. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, here with my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're talking with Republican gubernatorial candidate, Andrew Giuliani. Uh, you mentioned the Trump White House. That's where we want to go next. We want to talk about two big figures in your life and career that most New Yorkers are familiar with. First of all, of course, your dad, who was a polarizing figure, who was loved by some, not loved by others. How would you be a different leader for New York as governor, and what would you do that's the same as what your father did? Well, frankly, I think there'd be a lot, a lot that's the same. I mean, when I look at, uh, you know, the administration of Rudy Giuliani specifically, I look at a guy who was, who, uh, inherited a New York City that had over 2,000 murders a year for four straight years, literally, uh, the four highest recorded murder years in the history of New York City, and then was able to take it down below 600 by the time he left office, and that number even 12, 13 years later, actually went down to below 300. Now we've seen the murder rate rise, unfortunately, over the last four years in New York City. I think it's first and foremost a focus on proactive policing, on making sure that we can do everything that we possibly can to repeal bail reform. That's a meeting that I will have on day one with Stuart Cousins and Hasty, uh, the Speaker of the Assembly and the State Senate, and saying this is my top priority, full repeal of bail reform. And if you choose not to do this, then I, I will not be planning on funding your top priorities in the state budget negotiation that we have upcoming. And then, uh, of course, Jeff mentioned the other, the other figure here, and you've, you've, uh, mentioned him <laughs> a few times here, having worked for, uh, former President Donald Trump. You worked on his campaign. You worked in the White House, uh, you know, in, in a number of, uh, uh different positions there. Obviously, Donald Trump, an extremely, extremely polarizing figure, also a guy who has chosen to disassociate himself from New York. Um, the question is not so much about Trump, but um, making that, uh, you know, sort of a cornerstone of your campaign and your government experience. How do you attract New Yorkers, including Republicans who did not like Donald Trump, to come together think- in the kind of bipartisan coalition you would need to win this contest? Well, I think, and this is probably haven't been around politics uh, for most of my life and having seen some politicians who are genuine and others who are disingenuous, I kind of promised myself a very long time ago that the one thing that I was going to be uh, was genuine and I was going to be honest with New Yorkers. Look, I- I'm aware that there are New Yorkers that don't like President Trump and there are New Yorkers that don't like Rudy Giuliani, but I'd much rather be honest with them and tell them that, hey, this is my background. These are mentors of mine and people that I look up to. Uh, and here are my ideas. And if you like my ideas uh, and you don't think that it's disqualifying, the fact that my name is Giuliani or I, worked, or I worked for Donald Trump, then that's great. And if you do, at least I was honest with you and at least I can lay it out there. Uh, so for me, I'd much rather instead of trying to be Machiavellian with moving around here and there and trying to uh, trying to keep track of the lies, which I see, you know, so many politicians do. I'd much rather be honest with New Yorkers and tell them where I'm coming from. Uh, and lay out the policies, and, and then that way they get a, a full, transparent idea of what they're getting uh, in a Giuliani administration. And as you pursue this, you know, you first have to get through the primary. So Celeste and I are curious uh, what your thoughts are on the other candidates seeking the Republican nomination, Lee Zeldin, Rob Astorino, Harry Wilson, and what sets you apart from them? 
Well, I would say one of the exciting things that we have coming up and we were talking about earlier today is the multiple multiple debates. We'll have a debate on uh, June 13th, one on the 21st, and I believe we're having another one on the 23rd, although that's up in the air and we're working on maybe one more potentially. But I think New Yorkers at that point will get to see kind of the difference in what we would bring to office. You know, for me, I look at uh, the other competitors and you look at a guy like Rob Astorino, and he's a man of integrity. Lee, I think, has unfortunately continually lied to New Yorkers uh, time after time. He's uh, lied about the fact that he was challenging us to try to take us off the ballot, uh, and uh, and we have the documentation to prove that he's lying. So I don't know if Lee quite has the integrity to be the next governor of the state of New York. Uh, Rob's a good man and somebody who, honestly, if I wasn't in it, I'd probably be supporting. But I think... Uh, you know, probably the thing that is an issue with Rob is he's, you know, lost his last three races, and that's something that's tough to turn around from. But in terms of actually winning this primary, I think our debates are going to be very important upcoming, and I think we have a great vision for actually turning this state around. And I'm very excited where, where we are, and you, you highlighted the most recent Zogby poll. Um, to be up 10 points 33 days out, um, I think we're in a very good position coming down the home stretch. And then finally, what do you think that people should uh, be paying attention to as they consider whether to give uh, Governor Kathy Hochul uh, a full term? Obviously, she came into uh, into office under uh, very specific circumstances related to the uh, former governor, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, what do you think of the job that she's been doing? I think it's fair to say that, you know, it's she wasn't handed an, an easy thing here, given the pandemic and everything else that's going on. Yeah, I would point to the fact that I think she doesn't look at crime as being a major issue in New York. And I would point no further than her state of the state speech, which she gave, where she never one time mentioned bail reform or cashless bail and didn't even acknowledge crime until the 17th or 18th minute of her speech. Uh, I know that she has addressed it uh, in passing recently, and I think that's because she's seen some polling numbers that realizes it's something she can't ignore. Uh, but I think you're going to get in the Governor Giuliani, somebody who every single day asks of him and his staff, what can we do today to make New York a safer place? And unfortunately, in a Governor Kathy Ockel, you're going to get somebody that ignores it until she sees a poll that realizes this may be something that I should just talk about for a couple of seconds. And I know we have to wrap up. I just want to throw in a question or two on issues that I think is important, is important, uh, given the recent, uh, revelation of the draft U.S. Supreme Court that could overturn Roe versus Wade. I'd love our listeners to know your stance and what you would do as governor regarding reproductive rights. And then also it's twofold because two issues. We're heading into LGBTQ Pride Month. And one of the things that's been, uh, questioned is, if the Supreme Court reverses Roe versus Wade, what comes next? And so I'm just curious, also as an openly gay man who is married, where you stand on marriage equality, is that something that you would seek? So it's really where you stand on reproductive rights and also marriage equality. Yeah, I've been public out there and, and I support marriage equality. Uh, and I believe that, uh, you know, that would, that would not be something that I would uh, push in any kind of way to repeal. I think it's important. Uh, and I like the progress that we've seen in our state on that. Um, as for life, I can tell you I am pro-life. I look at my daughter, and I think of the first time that I saw her on the ultrasound machine. And uh, when she was 12 weeks old, I realized the most important thing in my life was protecting that life. And I cannot actually get by um, 
you know, that moment and thinking that that was the most important thing that I should do. As governor, to me, uh, that's something in New York that we need to protect. Andrew Giuliani, we really appreciate you uh, being here today. I want to give you like 60 seconds as we wrap up to just make your final pitch on why you deserve uh, to make it through the Republican primary. Well, looking at everything that we have in our state, look, we lead the country in out-migration uh, in figuring out what we're trying to do here over the next eight years. Uh, I look at this very simply. We need to make sure that New York, again, is not just the safest city, city but the safest state in the country. Unfortunately, we've gotten to a place where uh, we're going down the wrong path when it comes to our crime. Every single day you're going to get in the Governor Giuliani, somebody that asks of himself, what can we do today to make the Empire State a safer place? We'll also make sure we bring our freedoms back to New York here. Uh, I believe that I don't believe in mandates. I believe that every single person should have those health decisions that they make with themselves and then their family, not mandated by the governor. We would roll roll those mandates back, and anybody who lost their job, we would give them their job back with back pay on day one. And finally, from an economic standpoint, we need to be more competitive with the likes of the Floridas, the Texas, and the Tennessees of the world. New York's budget is $220 billion. Florida's is $97 billion. There's a main reason why we're leading the country in out-migration and Florida's leading the country in in-migration. And it doesn't get much further than the fact that we waste money and they're pretty efficient with it. Andrew Giuliani, we always wish we had more time, but uh, if people want to find out more about you and your campaign, where can they look? Go to saveny.org. That's saveny.org. And always happy to come back on, guys. So thank you for having me. Andrew Giuliani, thanks for joining us today here on Driving Forces on WBAI. So I want to give him credit, and here's why, because we've also, for our listeners, now we've also reached out repeatedly, Celeste did this week, and I've done a number of times before to Lee Zeldin's campaign. Yep. They're not getting back at all. Um, I want to, you know, we should reach out, and we will, to Rob Astorino, Harry Wilkinson, and I will tell you as far as the Democratic candidates, uh, we will have Tom Swazi on, and I think it's the ninth he'll be on our show, uh, but we are pursuing getting uh, Governor Hochul as well, and the other Democrats. We've uh, recently also had Jamani Williams on the show. So we are trying to bring you all perspectives on this show. Right, Celeste? Absolutely. And, you know, we, we have been doing our level best to get a lot of these people on. And we have had some some great political guests on, uh, you know, hoping to get the mayor back soon, certainly. Uh, but we had we had him fairly, fairly recently. Is that is that right, Jeff? Didn't we? Um, yeah, I do, I do think you kind of scared him off there, but yes. Oh, stop. <laughs> uh, you know, but we, we have had, and we have had uh, Kathy Hochul on the program in the past. We also hope to have some of our gubernatorial, uh, you know, other gubernatorial candidates, uh, congressional candidates. Certainly you would be very interested in uh, in uh, hearing uh, what Carolyn Maloney, Jerry Nadler have to say. That's uh, very interesting. Of course, uh, Bill de Blasio, uh, congressional candidate Bill de Blasio, that, that's a Another one for our list. You you writing that? Write that down. I wrote it down because <laughs> you reminded me, so our listeners. So he, when I texted him, he got back. He put me in touch with his assistant. She's not gotten back to me yet, but we are pursuing getting Bill De Blasio in here. We Celeste and I wanted him during his term. We could not get him, but we will get him now for you. 
Absolutely. And we are going to be coming up to our next guest very shortly and somebody I'm very glad to uh, to have on the program, somebody that I think you will be very familiar with. But again, while we are setting that up, just one more quick reminder that you can take just a few moments today. Go to WBAI.org. Give as generously as you can to support this radio station. You can make a one-time donation or even better. Even better, you can do like Jeff and become a WBAI buddy. Make a recurring donation to help keep free speech radio alive and well in New York. That's WBAI.org. And part of the reason, listeners, why I am a BAI buddy is because I do make a point of donating throughout the year as well as volunteering. But I have to admit, I'm not the best at tracking all my financial records. So it's easier for me, and maybe it is for you, to just Put it on your credit card. I mean, you will see it on your credit card every month of 15 or $20, but you don't have to put that on your calendar to remember to do it. Why do it 12 times in a year? Do it once and it'll just wind up. I mean, it was for me, that makes sense. And also the value of being a BAI member and of being a, a part of BAI's future. So unfortunately, we have been talking about violence a lot here on WBAI over the past few years, including right here in New York City. That includes violence directed at members of the Asian American community. And as you know, May is AAPI Heritage Month, a time when we celebrate the contributions of Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, and Native Hawaiians. But it also saw a tragic mass shooting at a Taiwanese American church in California and continuing incidents of hate and discrimination against Asian people. John Liu was the first Asian American elected to the legislative office in New York and the first to hold citywide office as citywide as uh, New York City's controller. He's been a city council member and then New York City controller and now he is a member of the New York State Senate representing District 11 in Queens. Senator John Liu, welcome to Driving Forces. Thanks for having me, Jeff, and thanks for uh, for contacting me, Celeste. Always good to be with you guys. Celeste has that great network. She's like, we got to get John Liu on the show. So let us start off, though, with the big news that is on everyone's mind. The mass gun violence we've been seeing recently from the Taiwanese church in California to Buffalo to Robb Elementary School in Texas. You are the chair of the New York City Education Committee in the Senate. What are your thoughts about how we can keep our kids safe right now? Well, the, the shooting this week in Texas, I mean, 19 little kids and two teachers, just really unspeakable, unimaginable. And, and the continuing news stories coming out of that horrific incident are just, just so shocking. It's hard to believe that something like that could happen anywhere in the world. Uh, obviously, there is a great deal of concern on the part of parents and teachers for safety in our schools. In New York City, uh, we have a very diverse student population. We've got new school buildings. We've got some very old buildings as well, which are have their issues issues of their own. Uh, I know that the mayor and chancellor are working on a plan to continuously upgrade the safety and security of our school buildings. And I, I await what their announcement is going to be. But I know that this is on first and foremost on the minds of parents. So many hundreds of thousands of parents who are concerned with safety, their kids. 
And you are, Senator, actually uh, with the uh, the mayor and the chancellor today uh, for that announcement about the new AAPI curriculum. Uh, you made some pretty passionate remarks about, you know, what Asian Americans have to go through, uh, including some of your own experiences uh, as an immigrant, uh, being in an immigrant family. Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about that for a moment here in the context of, of AAPI uh, Heritage Month. You know, there's still so many Asian yeah. Americans in the city. You know, we seem to have the pandemic somewhat more under control, but some of this discrimination and hate and violence is not going away. Well, it has, but it's not just going to go away on its own. To your point. This, the month of May has been declared by many presidents of the United States to be Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, which is what we introduced uh, our segment as. Uh, this is a, a month where, as you said, uh, we celebrate the accomplishments of Asian Americans, but we also take this opportunity to recognize and understand the ongoing struggles of the community and use that experience and knowledge to forge a path forward. And so it's very much apropos that at the Department of Education today, we, we announced that the DOE, under Mayor Adams' leadership, will put together the inclusion of Asian American history in New York City public schools. Now, uh, you may be aware that I've been pushing for state legislation that would mandate Asian American studies be included in our public schools. Uh, that is still making its way through the legislative process in Albany, which never as quick as any of us would like to see. But the mayor and the chancellor said, you know what, we don't need to wait for a mandate. We can do it on our own initiative. And that's exactly why the announcement took place today. And why do we need it so badly? Uh, Celeste, as you know it, uh, the racism and discrimination that continues against, against a lot of groups. In the last couple of years, directly and exactly coincident with the COVID-19 crisis, there has been an incredible and unprecedented onslaught of anti-Asian hate. And the reason for that is Asians get scapegoated. We, We get scapegoated when there's economic recession. We get scapegoated when there is war world we get scapegoated when there's a global pandemic as we have been uh as we've been facing facing these last couple of years indeed one of the new words added to the lexicon of anti-asian slurs is now carrier meaning uh, well you know what that means and so uh we we continue to get scapegoated as a community and that scapegoating inevitably escalates into discrimination, and then hate, and then violence. That's exactly what we're seeing. The violent attacks against Asian Americans have been so vicious, and it, it reminds us that, you know, this hate doesn't come out of, uh, out of nowhere. It, it comes first from fear to blame somebody, and it's always easy to blame people that you just don't know. And so, so that's why I felt it's. I feel it's really, really necessary. We've got to do a lot of things to address anti-Asian hate. 
but one of the long term long term solutions to combat combating anti aging hate is by eradicating that ignorance that leads to that hate. When, um, I, I stated earlier today, last year, there was, and you know, interrupt me if I'm going on a soliloquy here, but uh, last year there was a, a survey of nearly 3,000 Americans asking them to name an Asian American. Just name an Asian American. And, uh, you know, 42% of people couldn't name a single Asian American. And of the remaining who could, Jackie Chan was the most common response, followed by Bruce Lee. So, it's, you know, I don't know what to say about that. It, it just it's, it was like a really um, vivid example of how little is known about Asian Americans. People who do know something about Asian Americans, there's the either the model minority stereotype as a as punctuated by a movie that designated Asians to be crazy rich, or on the other end of the spectrum, uh, this perpetual foreigner uh, as um, the perpetual foreigner identity as uh, as <laughs> unfortunately um, elucidated by another comedy series, Fresh Off the Boat. And so, uh, you know, we have. We just need people to understand that Asian Americans have struggled have put the in the United States. If you're just joining us, our guest is State Senator John Liu from Queens. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming by WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And, Senator, I want to ask you, related to to the Education Department, uh, you spoke recently about the future of mayoral control of city schools, and I just want to read a few lines of what you said to City Limits. You said, quote, I expect the solution to be one that allows the mayor to retain control and therefore be accountable by the public, by parents, by legislators, and at the same time provides a stronger, more meaningful mechanism by which parents can inject their input and have responsiveness from the Department of Education. Is that the the uh, the right way to go, you think? Because, I mean, I remember the debate, the original debate about uh, mayoral control of schools, and it was uh, very heated. Uh, where are we on that? Yeah, the the topic has been very controversial for the 20 years that mayoral control has been a part of the has been the governing system of New York City public schools. Uh, to answer your question, Celeste, we are we are a little more than a month away from the expiration of mayoral control in New York City public schools, um, and if that that expiration is allowed to happen without any extension, then we would revert back to a system of local school boards that existed prior to 2002 in New York City. Uh, I don't envision letting that 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 deadline elapse without taking action. I'm confident that we will have a le- legislative package that that will that will not see return to the local school boards of 20 years ago, but continue the system of mail control insofar as the mayor having the ability, the power to appoint the chancellor and a majority of the school board members, the citywide school board members, uh, which is also known as the PEP or Panel for Educational Policy. Uh, but 
control is not, you know, it's not either yes or no. There are ways that we can allow the mayor to maintain the control, as I as I described it, um, and therefore allow parents and the public and legislators and everybody to hold the mayor accountable for the performance or lack thereof of our public schools. But at the same time, we will legislate some changes to the current system that have the purpose and will have the effect of of strengthening parental engagement, uh, such as making sure, make, forcing the Department of Education to be more responsive to parents, and also uh, compelling them to take into account uh, the input, the, the criticism, the suggestions that come from parents uh, by changing uh, some of the, the composition of that school board, also known as the PEP. Senator, I know we only have a few minutes left. I want to just bring up another topic because when we do have guests on, I do want our listeners to know, you know, if they're running for office, if they're running for reelection. Uh, I admit that every day I seem to find out um, some new development regarding the district lines and how they've changed and whose district I am in. I'm now in Grace Meng's district where I was AOC's before. I just found that out in the last 48 hours. But with you, well, you, um, way, you now live well outside the district you represent. Um, so, and now you are in what is, I guess, Senator Toby Stavisky's district, but she also has been drawn out of the district she represents. What does the future hold for you? Where, what district are you running in? That, that's a great question, Jeff. It's like these last couple of weeks, uh, you wake up in the morning and you realize that the political lines have changed once again and there is absolutely nothing you can do or say to change anything. <laughs> um, uh, my, my Senate district, which you introduced me as representing, uh, Senate District 11, is a is a is an awesome district. It was an awesome district. I had the privilege of representing it for four years, and under the finalized district lines, it is still an awesome district. It's in fact something like ninety five percent intact. It's a great district, and I would be honored to continue to representing it. Uh, but the complication is, as you noted, I now live a couple of blocks outside. My house is a couple of blocks outside the district. Uh, and I have, I had no input into that and I have, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, so, uh, I'm left with the, the choice of running in the district that I live in, which is very far different from the district I've been representing or, um, moving into the district that I have been representing for a long time. Uh, the, the saving grace is that if I decide the latter option, uh, there will be some time. I won't have to move by next week or even later this year. I'll have until uh, towards the end of next year, 2023, to make that change in residence. And Senator John Liu, we always wish we had more time. But where can we send people who want to find out more about you and your work in the Senate? Um, well, they can visit my Senate website. It's at nysenate.gov and look for Lou, or they can call me. Uh, we, we like phone calls. We answer our phones, 718-765-6675, or people can email me, liu at nysenate.gov. 
or they can try social mes- uh, social media, uh, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Although I admit we get so much in there that it's it's hard to keep up. But uh, I'm not I'm not hard to find. Great. Well, it's good to have options. State Senator John Liu, Democrat Democrat of Queens. Thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Forces today, and uh, happy and healthy AAPI Heritage Month to you. Thank you, and thanks to the both of you for continuing to be driving forces. <laughs> thanks so much. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. Coming up, we're going to give you your chance to weigh in. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What do you think about the gun violence that we've seen this month? How can we fix it? Do you think it'll ever get fixed? Or who do you think should be the next governor of New York and why? Do you think that they should teach more about AAPI history in our schools? 212-209-2877 is the number to call. Meanwhile, you can always go to WBAI.org and give generously to support this station. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM New York. I'm your co-host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And that was Howard Jones. Things can only get better from 1985. One quick thing before we get to our quick call, our three calls. You, uh, John Liu was talking about uh, an AAPI curriculum. Uh, that's what we were going to have the chancellor on to talk a little about today, because just this afternoon, school's chancellor David Banks announced a new curriculum centering on AAPI voices. You're going to hear a lot more about this. It's a new set of curriculum resources called Hidden Voices, Asian American and Pacific Islanders in the United States. We'll hear a lot more about that. And when we have the chancellor on next month, before he wraps up his first six months in office, we will discuss that. So let's get to the calls. We're going to get to our first call. Paul, let's put that call on. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hello. You are on the air. Yes. Um, I just got on. I, I called the wrong number. I'm glad I, I, I got through. <laughs> <laughs> you sound a little like uh, ecologic, um, that, that whole. Yes. Um, but this, this whole thing about um, the titling of this, this hidden voices kind of thing. You know, it's some, somehow there's a kind of victimhood thing that goes along with that. You know what I'm saying? What do you mean? That it's hidden voices. It's almost like, like the silent majority. Hello? Oh, yeah, no, I'm here. I, I thought you were going to elaborate just a bit yeah, more. Yeah, no, no. Um, I'm just, I just want to know if you, it's, it's not anything, there's nothing wrong with the, 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 uh, the, the program. I'm just saying maybe the entitlement of it, hidden voices, because it's really not uh, really hidden. It's just more a culture. Uh, I, I think within the Asian community, it's probably more like a cultural uh, aspect where it's not hidden, but it's kind of secluded in a way. It's very uh, inclusive to that community. Well, well from, like from what I understand, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. From what I understand, mm-hmm. I think that it's the name is probably sort of a nod to the fact that, um, you know, uh, Asian American voices have not been listened to. It's not that they haven't existed. It's just they haven't gotten the attention, um, that they deserve. But I'd be curious, what, what do you think would be a better, a better name for a curriculum well, having to do I with mean, uh, Asian I, American I, history? Not, I, I don't know if I have the solution right away, but I think, uh, maybe empowered voices or something like that, you know, um, because it has more of a, it doesn't have that kind of like, well, you know, we're not listened to or we're not heard because I think when, uh, John Wu is it when he ran for, uh, for president or mayor. Hello. Yeah. John Liu ran for uh, mayor. When he ran for mayor, you see again too, it's literal too, in terms of the voice itself. You know, you don't hear that voice as as powerful. Maybe it's a cadence, you know, within the Asian community or or, or uh, Westerners or people, you know, just regular Americans hearing uh, the Asian voice. It's not a voice, especially in English. You don't hear it as much, so it sounds. It, you don't hear that English Western. I mean, that English. Asian voice as loudly and mm-hmm. as forcefully as you would some other uh, uh, ethnicities. 
and, so and thank you for your call. Me. And I think that, yeah, I think that that's sort of the point. And I, Jeff, I don't know if you would agree, but I think that that's kind of the point is that, you know, taking the time to, to listen to and, and to appreciate the, uh, you know, the contributions and the part that Asian Americans have played in our history. Yeah, uh, we are going to go to our next caller right now. WBAI, yeah. you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Raphael. I'm from Queens. And what's on your mind today? Well, I just want to talk about the gun violence. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that just gun violence comes from parenting. And nobody in government is going to do anything about it. I think that people in government appreciate gun violence, especially those who support uh, the jails in our system. Um, uh, so they just keep those cells full. But as far as gun violence, it just starts with good parenting. Um, if you have a kid that's raised on his iPhone uh, 16 hours of the day, uh, totally ignorant of what's going on around him, just zoned in on his phone and listening to violent music, watching violent TV, going to grow up thinking that violence is okay. And violence is just not okay. That's just what I think about it. And, and if... We have to take entertain kids by, by uh, I don't know, making them smarter, making making them understand what it is to be human. We'll just be better. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your call. I wish we had more time today, but I know we are coming right up against it. So real quickly, we want to thank you for listening to Driving Forces today. I want to thank our special guests, Andrew Giuliani, candidate for governor of New York and state senator John Liu. Thanks as always to you, our listeners, to our callers and to our engineer, Paul DiRienzo. Jeff, what's coming up on City Watch? Now, I know we're preempted next week on this show. I'll be back on the 9th. And then we have another gubernatorial candidate, Tom Swazi, who will be on the show. This coming Sunday, 10 a.m. is City Watch. You want, David Brand is back from paternity leave. So you want to tune in at 10 a.m. You'll hear him talk with election law and voting rights expert Jerry Goldfeder, also housing experts from the Association of Nonprofit Housing Developers. Absolutely. So if you missed any part of this show, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. Stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. Thanks for listening and see you on the radio. 